Simple Suttas, a podcast on original Buddhism. Visit us at simplesuttas.wordpress.com. lying there completely uh, you know you can just totally let go of the body you just have an experience of that you're just basically a point of consciousness right here then mm-hmm. it's so restful that you don't really need to sleep anyways I, I think I was just you know it just never happens to me I go to sleep I'm out like a rock that's <laughs> it I woke up in the middle of the night last night I'm like what, what is this what's going on and uh, I just know it was because I had a really stressful intense day yesterday mm-hmm. and uh, my mind was racing and just thought Shit, this is exactly <laughs> this is it. This is the time. This is it. <laughs> okay. So we're gonna try something just strange here. I just came cool. up with a few random questions just to see what uh, what came of it. Maybe nothing. Yeah. Favorite sutta. Favorite sutta. Um, man, <laughs> I got quite a few of them. Uh, yeah. uh, DN one, DN two, Brahmajala, um, Samapala. Those are both uh, fantastic. Um, MN twenty seven, the Lesser Discourse on the Elephant Footprint. Um, is basically DN2, a little little yeah, different yeah. twist to it. Um, let's see, what else? Well, no, you know, what, what's uh, like the, the, the teaching in any one of those that really spoke to you? Uh, Brahmajala, um, like I said, it is literally the end, in my opinion, it is the end of philosophy. Like uh, you, it explains to you every view that could possibly be held. It, could exp- it explains how those views are developed. It explains the consequences of those views. Hmm. Um, so literally, if you were to read that and, and uh, get a good grounding in it, um, I think most of your questions about any type of philosophy, Western, Eastern, doesn't matter, would just put it aside. Put it aside, yeah. Um, DN2, um, I think, is fantastic. It is... The complete what exegesis? How you exegesis? of the path, right? And and it's I would guess that it probably predates the eightfold path, but that's just a guess. Oh, why is that? Um, well, because it's not the eightfold path is so neat and organized <laughs> and wonderful, right? Tidy, Tidy. Um, and um, here we get something that's slightly different mm. um, that explains um, certain aspects of sila in almost painstaking detail um and so you really you know it's it's not the vinya but it's close i mean it essentially tells you exactly in every single situation uh what your aim should be as as far as how you react to it i had read somewhere that in indian culture at that time four uh was you know kind of a very special number Mm -hmm. and so that eight was also a special number because it was two times four Mm -hmm. and so that possibly the reason why uh, for uh, four double truths and eightfold path were that number was because they were you know considered the most sure. special. Now there are numbers for everything, so I'm not sure that that's true. Yeah. But it also does occur to me eightfold path could have been any number. You know, you could have mm-hmm. made it longer by breaking all the you know the four right efforts and the four mm-hmm. foundations separately, or you could have made it shorter by compressing the uh, the all the virtue steps and the mm-hmm. you know something like that. So. 
kind of playing with numbers. But it, it is an interesting thought. Like, was it the Buddha that came up with those numbers mm-hmm. and those mnemonics? Was it someone else that was memorizing it? Yeah. You know, when, when I teach something, I you know I never teach it exactly the same way, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, you know to different people, different times, just trying out a little different way of of speaking it. So it would make sense to me that. I mean, he clearly taught the path multiple yeah. different ways. You've got the Eightfold Path, you've got the gradual training, you've got, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all these different ways of essentially looking at the same ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I just really, uh, really connect with that. And then also, too, I think that, um, you know, as it guides you, like I said, if you read that out loud, and, and like I said, uh, that one and MN27 are very, very similar. Um, but if you read that out loud, you get a complete sense of, I think, where you're at, uh, where you're going, how you're going to know when you get there. <laughs> we should do that sometime. Have a full 45-minute uh, uh, reading. Full-on straight reading. Yeah. Love it, man. And um, I guess MN27, um, you know, the introduction is a little bit different. And also, it's uh, so beautiful to me because it's something uh, that I, I really believe in and I, I see in the teachings, you know. Uh, the way that the foot pin, foot, uh, elephant footprint simile starts is that there's a guy who's like an itinerant philosopher, and uh, he, somebody's asking him, "Oh, I, you know, here is this Master Gotama, and, and have you heard of this guy? And what do you what do you think of Master Gotama's uh, discernment?" And he literally just straight up tells the guy, "He says, what the hell do I know about Master Gotama's discernment?" He says, "If, I, if for me to know about his discernment, wouldn't I have to be as equal in discernment?" You guys so far beyond me. <laughs> and he says, oh, well, you speak really of high praise. You know, what, what is all this high praise? And so then he says, well, you know, um, I saw these, uh, these great footprints. And, and when I saw these four footprints, I figured, oh, there's a big bull elephant. Hmm. And he says, the four footprints that I saw, and he, uh, it's the same thing, but he just goes through different casts. And so the first cast that he starts with is he says, you know, uh, there's uh, Brahmins that uh, hold certain speculative views and they wander around like hair-splitting marksmen, you know, and they say, oh, any debate, I can win. You know, I'm just going to ask him this question. If I put him this question, he answers this one way, well, then I'm going to refute him this way. And if he answers this other way, I'm going to refute him this other way. And he says, they go to see him, and uh, far from, he says, far from uh, refuting him, they don't even ask, ask the question. They say they, they realize upon going to him that it's completely pointless. That's the foolish question, and they become his disciples. And so he goes through this, uh, you know, the four different castes, and the final one that he goes to is uh, the the wanderers of other sects. And uh, he says, you know, they come with these questions, and they don't even ask their questions. He says, and not only that, he says, oh man, the, what they say is they say, oh, we were so close to being lost. We were so close mm-hmm. to being lost. Here we thought we were arahats, now we actually are arahats. And here we thought we knew the Dhamma, we didn't know anything of the sort. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he said, so when I saw these four great footprints, I said, oh, I bet there's a big bull elephant. So somebody comes to the Buddha and reports that to him. And he says, oh, well, that's, that's very nice. It's very nice that he would say that. Let me finish it out. Let me, let me flesh that simile out in full for you. And so then he goes through the gradual training all the way up to, you know, that he sees all of his past lives, that he sees the arising and passing away of beings due to their karma, and he sees the complete uh, cessation of suffering. Um, and he says, you know, even at this point, and he's talking not about his own experiences, but anybody that wants to come see for themselves will have these experiences if they train in the way that he's directed them. And he says, uh, you know, up until that point, every single time that he comes to a new virtue that he has, or a new understanding that he has, he says, 
you know, uh, a, a, dis, a disciple of the noble ones would not yet say there is a big bull elephant, even to the point where um, he, uh, even to the point where when they actually see their past lives and they see all this stuff, he says, even at this point, they would not know. He says, but when they come to the full knowledge of uh, release, he says, at that point, you know, at this point, they've just been seeing uh, footprints, you know, oh, but there's, you know, there's midget elephants with big feet. He says, oh, there's, Does you he know, say midget elephants? yeah, he says like midget elephants. He says, oh, there's uh, pygmy elephants or something like that. Oh, okay. oh, there's, there's pygmy elephants with big feet. Oh, there's female elephants with big feet. Right. And he says, oh, they see the scratch marks on the trees. He says, but they don't yet come to the conclusion because there is large female elephants that got big teeth and they can make scratches on the trees. He says, but when they finally know and see for themselves and experience full release, that's the point. When they come and they see sitting under a tree or lying down by a river, ah, there's the big bull elephant. Hmm. Right. And that is that simile. I mean, like I said, reading that to me is just the, just so beautiful, you know, because uh, people always talk about, oh, should I be skeptical about this? Should I be skeptical about that? And he says, well, you know, he keeps following the trail, <laughs> but yeah. he doesn't yet come to the conclusion. Yeah. There's the big bull elephant. He doesn't know until the moment that happens that he's fully enlightened and he completely understands. Right. That's when he knows there's the big bull elephant. Up until then, he knows, oh, there's something going on here, but I don't know exactly what it is. Yeah, on the one hand, uh, each of those, you know, you're following a certain path, right? Mm-hmm. You're not completely heading in the wrong direction, and, and any any of those achievements is, is something to be, you know, celebrated and driven for and all those kinds of things, but, but not to be satisfied with. Yeah, yeah that's great. That's yeah. great. So those, I mean, those are some of my, my absolute favorites, uh, you know, and, uh, and, but every week, you know, whenever I read another one, I'm like, oh, this one's really fantastic, you know. <laughs> all right, well, here's another one for you. All right. Outside of breath meditation mm-hmm. or metta meditation, favorite practice, hmm. if any? Uh, I would definitely say uh, uh, the type of meditation that's outlined in Anadalakana. Um, that, for me, is kind of my go-to practice anytime that I am experiencing um, any kind of uh, discomfort, whether it's a mind state or a physical pain. Or so this is the observing the arising and passing away? Um, no, it's the, I mean, it's the, just literally, basically as stated in the Anadolika Sutta, that anything that's unpleasant that I'm experiencing has to fall into a category of uh-huh. form, feeling, perception, attention, or consciousness. And that if you sit there, I mean, and I guess, yeah, you could say it's the arising and passing, but if you just sit there and you go through those things, and once again, you know, um, you'll find where you snag. If you go through the full list, each kanda and each method, right? Okay, is it internal? Is it external? Is it near? Is it far away? Is it in between? Right? Um, is it past, present, or future? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it, uh, you know, is it simple? Uh, you know, is it gross or is it subtle? Um, is it normal or is it, is, you know, sublime? Right? Any one of these things, you, you can, you go through and you go through every single possible derivation and you will find the place that you're clinging at and what's causing you the suffering. Right? There's nothing you can do about the pain, but you let go mm-hmm. of that suffering and you feel much better. Do you find that there are uh, certain categories that you fall into more often than others? Mm, oh yeah, sure. Uh, certainly, uh, for me, it's generally not physically related. It would be um, a perceptive state um, or maybe some sort of attendant consciousness. Hmm. Those are the ones that are, are pretty solid. 
Um, you know, uh, maybe you get uh, pretty decent in your practice and you get a nice solid state of equanimity going for a while, right? And then that equanimity goes away. And you say, oh, well, I thought I really had it, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? And then you start deconstructing. Oh, I thought I really had it. Okay, <laughs> then there's 17 different problems with that thought. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, those are, those are my uh, favorite practices. And then, too, just, uh, you know, uh, as far as you can uh, take. You know, it's interesting. I've read uh, people, um, even very, I think it was Tanisaro uh, said, Oh, you know, people talk about meta as being some like you know really amazing practice. He says, for me, mine's very grounded and very normal. That's not my experience with meta. Meta is usually like really out there to me. Like it's huh. uh, uh, gets uh, so blissful um, to the point where it's you know, tears in my eyes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's I guess you know you said uh, meta doesn't count, but that's you know um, yeah. The descriptions of meta to me do not seem like. A, a anything like normal walking around kind of experiences that your yeah. mind is is filled with the four quarters with the mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, that's that seems like a strange comment from him yeah maybe maybe i'm misattributing it mm. well okay so i think this is one you've answered but i'm mm-hmm. just gonna ask it anyway sure. so would a person who's completely uprooted the defilements be completely liberated if they have not seen their past lives uh, that's a good question um i think that definitely there's uh, groundings in the suda for saying yes um and I think that I would say I would be very wary of uh, making that declaration too early. I think a yeah. lot of people um, very much do. Uh, I think that if you don't have some sense of what he's talking about when he says that he's seen gods and angels and has had discussions with them, that he's seen his past lives, that he absolutely knows and understands Kama. Um, if you have no grounding and it just seems all like stories, I think it's unlikely that you're going to pursue the path far enough mm-hmm. um, because at some point what you're going to do is you're going to take, oh, this is all just a bunch of crap. <laughs> like, I mean, I understand why he was telling it to people because people back then thought they had a soul, and uh, but we don't believe that. We don't need, uh, yeah, I don't need any of that stuff. And I think that, um, you know, oftentimes that leads to a type of almost like Buddhist nihilism. Hmm. Um, and that's the wrong view. And so um, when he describes the things that he saw and the things that he did, and uh, I mean, the one, uh, the Brahma invitation. Hmm. Oh, sure. Right? Uh, the Brahma invitation for me. I don't think that that's just a story. I think mm-hmm. that is an actual experience that he personally experienced and then went and told his disciples about. Um, and I think that a lot of times, very easy to dismiss those things. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that those things, those things aren't the goal of the path either. Right. Um, and they're absolutely things that need to be let go of. But if you're walking around and you believe, oh, that's just a load of crap, I think that you're in trouble. If that makes any sense, it, it does, and I, I think it's a it's a fine line. I, I I have to say I can't I can't say that I definitely believe all of that, uh, and I and I actually do positively believe that there are some of those stories that really are stories that are really are myth in, in the in, not in the sense of just being wrong, but in the sense of being like uh, stories revealing a higher truth. But I also think that there's some things that 
other people would take to be myth that no, I definitely believe are really true, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, then then where you draw that line, I uh, you know I I, uh, I I give myself a pretty wide gray zone, <laughs> knowing for, knowing that I'm probably deluded in a lot of ways, <laughs> so I don't want to overestimate what I um, what I feel I can say for sure. Yeah, and I mean I think that that's part of the issue too is that. Um, there is whole wide range, you know, I was typing up that email, whole wide range of stuff that goes on in the suits. Uh, there's people being declared arahants, just like, oh, yeah, I'm totally sure that there's no self, there's no permanence in any of the six internal bases, the six external bases, or the attendant consciousness. I'm absolutely sure of that. I'm not confused. Oh, well, you're an arahant, right? And then, uh, like I said, in MN27, he talks about somebody that has completely followed every, the gradual training, every single possible thing, that even after all of that, uh, they're not fully enlightened until something else happens, right? Um, And so it's it's very difficult to know. Um, And then there's also always the the problem, one of the similes he gives is, of course, of the raft, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That... uh, it's possible that somebody might have uh, had some really cool experiences or has really, really done their practice very, very well and then might be walking around with the rap guns. <laughs>